sure today that you leave this place knowing that you are saved to the glory of God. Thanks. That one I'm going to choose. If you believe that, friends, you don't know the gospel. The point is that the wonder of the cross is that no one gets injustice. If you, if you end up under the wrath of God, it is because you've rejected his provision for you and you are justly punished for your sin. To what the scriptures teach. I think the Bible does teach that God desires the salvation of all men. That he has provided uh, for uh, the, the salvation of all men. And therefore, anyone who, who ends up under the wrath of God, it is because they have rejected his provision for them. And they are justly punished for their sins. So the question that seeks to provide an answer to this question, for whose sins did Jesus die? The extent of the atonement asks the question, for whose sins did Jesus die? There are only two answers, two possible answers to that question. Either Jesus died for the sins of some people, or Jesus died for the sins of all people. All right, hey, welcome to Making the Hedge. My name is Josh Gibbs, and I've got the camera on David right now. Uh, let me switch that back to myself, and then we can switch scenes here, cut the music, and go from there. But you may have noticed I've got a little bit different of a background this time. I just got a green screen last week. It's uh, not really working the way that I thought it um, would. I've got some more setup and stuff that I've got to do on that to make it look a little better. But uh, I, do, I do think that I'm going to use it in the future moving forward. But um, anyway, so without further ado, uh, last week we went over the King, uh, we had a King James roundtable discussion on the King James Version only controversy. And we had four different guys on the panel all together, uh, which really it stirred a lot of conversation. And uh, we had a really a, a lot of dialogue in that particular live stream last week. But uh, more than that, there was a lot of conversation online with Twitter and Facebook and YouTube and uh, just some of the different platforms that, uh, that we've been going live on in the past. Um, a couple of weeks ago, or a couple of broadcasts ago, uh, I, I switched to um, broadcasting this on multiple platforms. So rather than just doing YouTube, we're now on uh, somewhere between 12 and 15 different platforms. And we started a podcast and put all of that on there. So uh, we were typically getting anywhere between two and 300 views on just YouTube. But now that we've gone to multiple platforms, uh, just in that last video, we had over 1,200 views um, on, on that video alone. So it seems like that may be the route to go, putting it on you know whatever is the platform that you prefer to use, uh, which is what I desire to do is put it, put it somewhere that you can access it. And uh, really, that's the whole point of this thing, not to really get as many views as we can, because it's not like I'm making money at this or anything. But um, the whole point of it is just to have uh, a, a source to dialogue with other people um, in the online community that we might not normally get to have a dialogue with and to get the conversation out there. Um, me personally, I'm not a pastor. I'm not uh, any, any head of a department in a church or anything like that. Um, but I do. I study the Scripture. I study. I study the Word of God. I was a youth pastor for a little while. I've served in, in ministry, uh, in a number of dis different aspects, and and have written different, um, different lessons and material and things like that. But the whole point of this is just to kind of open the dialogue and have a conversation with normal guys and, uh, and gals like like you and me. So, um, we've got a 
a special guest with us tonight. His name is David. He is a um, um, an officer in the Canadian Army, and uh, he's coming to us live on uh, um, from Canada. I guess. So, what part of Canada are you from? Uh, so I uh, I thanks for having me on the uh, the program here. Uh, so I'm from Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan. Uh, is where I'm currently posted. Um, so that's just uh, just north of North Dakota. Oh, just north of North Dakota. Okay. So I don't usually get up that. I've, I've never been up that far in the States or I've never been to Canada. I know some guys who have been fishing up in Canada and say that it's great up around the Great Lakes. But, um, dude, I'd, I'd like to go sometime. I hear the hunting is good. But I don't know. I've never been. Um, but it. I, I live in Missouri, Kansas City, and this winter has been pretty brutal. I don't know how cold it got up there with you guys, but we had uh, multiple days this winter that it was, I mean, without a wind chill, it was down in the negative teens, and that's pretty cold for us. We got a lot of snow this winter. Typically, we don't get a lot of snow, um, but what's the weather like for you guys up there? Uh, well, it's actually just, it's just warming up. Uh, we hit, uh, we're hitting zero, so I guess that's uh, 32 <laughs> for you guys. Um, but uh, we our cold snap. We, we kind of had the same one. Uh, we were getting we're wind chill down below uh, minus forty. Yeah, um, and that's, uh, that's 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 the same, but with Celsius and Fahrenheit. So that's what we get up here. So what's a summer look like for you guys? Uh, summer, we um, I was trying to do the math in my head here. It's so we hit about thirty. Thirty is an average, kind of high in July. Okay. Um, so that's I think it's like mid nineties, kind of high nineties. Dude, that's stuff off the top of my head. Oh, high nineties. Okay, well that's warmer than I thought it'd be. So yeah, yeah we get that. Uh, we we kind of get a full four seasons, kind of the perfect, yeah. perfect everything. That's cool awesome. Winters, hot summers. Well, um, so I wanted to kind of get a backstory on. Um, you had sent me a document earlier today uh, that kind of gave a backstory on, you know, where you came up, where you grew up. And, and it obviously has to do with the conversation that we had last week, because um, with the the roundtable discussion on the King James Version only controversy and, 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 and some of the things that we got a chance to discuss, particularly with Sam Gipp, um, you had reached out to me personally and said, hey, there's some things that I think that we could dialogue and, and discuss uh, on this particular topic. And uh, I'm more than happy to have you on and anybody else on who uh, would like to discuss some of the topics that we come across um, on on this podcast. But also, if you think of something and you want to reach out to me, feel free to do that. You can reach me on my email at gibbsj1086 at gmail.com. Uh, you can text me at 816-282-4031. Um, or you can just DM, DM me on Twitter, Facebook, whatever, YouTube, and uh, let me know. Um, but that's the whole purpose of this thing is just to kind of have uh, these normal discussions about normal conversations that Christians should have. Uh, but do you go by Dave or do you go by David? Uh, Dave, Dave's fine, yeah. Okay. So, Dave, I, I kind of want to get a backstory on what it is that led up to you wanting to have the conversation that we're going to have tonight. But, um, but more than that, even um, kind of what your story is and leading up to and out of King James Version onlyism to where you're at today. So, if you could kind of give us a little bit of a backstory on that, that would be great. And I think we could we could take off from there. For sure. So, I uh, I uh, kind of like you. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not a pastor of any church. I'm not uh, not on an elders board. Um, I currently attend uh, the Christian Missionary Alliance. Uh, it's a denomination Canada. I'm not uh, sure if it's down there. Uh, theologically, it kind of fits like between, uh, between Baptist and Pentecostal. Um, 
and I, I my, my kind of role there is I'm on the on the music team. So that's that's what I do actively uh, in the service of the church. Um, so I grew up um, I grew up uh, attending a Pentecostal church uh, when I when I was very young. Uh, it's kind of what my parents uh, grew up attending, and so that's what we all what we all went to. Uh, and when I was about 13, uh, just due to the, our church uh, kind of becoming more charismatic, uh, you know, with kind of like some of the, the you know, the, the spirit-filled, uh, you know, slain in the spirit kind of speaking in tongues, uh, you know, your stereotypical uh, charismaticism, uh, we left and, and kind of home-churched. Uh, and, uh, and what we did from there is we, we downloaded sermons off the Internet, uh, typically from American pastors. Uh, and for the most part, uh, a lot of them, uh, a lot of them were more Baptist. Um and the reason for that was uh, my dad had always been uh, King James, uh, at least King James preferred, uh, not knowing uh, necessarily why. Uh, and uh, as, as we started uh, searching for our own uh, sermons to listen to, uh, he st- uh, stumbled upon a sermon series uh, on the King James by Sam Gipp. Uh, so it's, uh, if anyone's familiar with that, it's about a 16, 17 series uh, sermons that he put out uh, quite a few years ago now. Um, it kind of rehashes them, but uh, the original ones were at least a decade ago. Uh, so we listened to those and and kind of kind of listened to all the talking points. It basically became uh, hardcore kind of King James only. Uh, still home churching, um, but uh, but very hard uh, King James. It's, uh, King James only. Um, there were some uh, some other issues, kind of disagreements that I had uh, had with my own family over some of the more uh, you know modern changes in the church, uh, music, and uh, kind of other things like that. Uh, call it a uh, you know call it a rebellious teenage phase uh, if you will. Um, still kind of have those still kind of have those differences, but uh, but due to those changes, we kind of had a falling out uh, falling out with my family over not uh, not wanting the, the the truth as was uh, as they espoused in the King James. They kind of viewed my uh, moving away from the, the other topics as moving away from the truth. Um, I, uh, I remained in uh, I remained in Baptist churches for a few years, uh, following the first couple of years of uh, my college, um, and and would always would always try to get in conversations with people uh, about uh, about stuff in the Bible I, lo- I love. But I didn't know what, I didn't know what it was at the time, but uh, you know, knowing apologetics now, just the title itself. Um, and uh, so I would, and and the interesting thing with me is that uh, while we were very King James only. Um, from from a book perspective, there were some doctrinal things that we still kind of differed, uh, and and so one of the one of those major differences was, uh, um, and I, I mean there might be people out there who disagree with this, but there's uh, I, I find that a lot of Baptists are very uh, more pre-trib, um, and coming from the Pentecostal uh, side of things, we kind of carried over that that post-trib aspect. Um, still, always argued from the King James, so I would always try. Yeah, I always got conversations with Baptist pastors that I met, and we'd kind of have apologetics discussions. Um, and so uh, that, that kind of led to, uh, and those those discussions uh, eventually led into uh, um, actually getting back to the core of a lot of the issues, which was which was the King James. So we're gonna we're gonna uh, touch on that uh, moving into now, or yeah, I kind of wanted to I, just hearing that story. It makes me there's a couple of things that you know uh, make uh, that some questions arise in my just in my mind that um, that I'd figure I'd, I'd I would ask you before we get into the King James stuff, but. Um, so you said that you grew up Pentecostal, and it, it, was it then that your dad had discovered and uh, Sam Gipp and had decided that you guys were going to be King James only? What's the timeline look on that aspect of it? Uh, so, as, so as far as I know, um, it was about that time that he did kind of uh, stumble upon the Sam Gipp stuff. Um, I was I was about thirteen at the time, so I mean my my, my history in the Pentecostal church is is, is very short uh, and, and fairly juvenile. Okay. 
uh, really. Um, but I believe it was about it was about the same time. Uh, so it's a grade eight kind of thing. So we home searched for about uh, I guess what would have been four years through high school before mm-hmm. I before I eventually left and had kind of had the falling out after that. So there was a solid four years of of uh, kind of King James only style. I see uh, sermons. Okay. Um, and the other question that I that I I was kind of wondering about was when you when you said that you were kind of a, a blend of Pentecostalism and Baptist. Now, what does that look like for you now since you left Pentecostalism? And I, I you said it was the Canadian Alliance. Is that what it was called? Yeah, the uh, the Canadian Missionary Alliance. Okay. Um, that, that's that's more of uh, I'm sure if I look at the doctrinal statements, I'm sure you could you could find a better way to yeah. describe that. Just to, to to the average average lay person, that's usually what I described. I hear you. Um, because there's a lot of there's a lot of traditional uh, there's a lot of traditional values that the that the alliance still has. Uh, like uh, you're singing, uh, um, they'll still still have a combination of hymns, uh, hymns and other things. Okay. Um, very conservative sermons. Um, they're not as uh, uh, well. I guess they're, they're not as charismatic as the. Is kind of a very toned down. So, from what I had kind of come out of, and what I what I had kind of gone into on both extremes, it was kind of a kind of a, like a healthy blend. I think kind of in the middle. I see. Um, so that that kind of is is what you're saying about it, uh, breaking fellowship or not really. Um, you you kind of broke ties with your family, and and you're saying from what I'm understanding, it was based basically over the King James version issue. Is that right? Uh, essentially, at, at at its core, yeah. There were a couple of surface issues, but at at its core, yeah. Um, at the time, I thought it was over surface issues, um, uh, but uh, yeah. after kind of kind of talking indirectly with them afterwards, uh, it, it kind of came out that it, that was more the core. Hmm. So, I mean, to me personally, I think that that's really sad to one break fellowship with an, another Christian over the King James Version issue. Um, I know and hear about a lot of people that that is that important to you that if you don't read from or study from the King James Version only. Um, or if you, it, there's a lot of different camps with the King James Version only side as well, um, but to me, I, I think that that's that's a sad thing in the body of Christ to see that much less in your own family. Um, I, I can understand that perspective that once you begin to think like that, it can be that 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 um, I, I don't know what the word is. I guess polarizing um, to just kind of break fellowship in those areas. That if you're not in our camp, then you're in that camp, and you're wrong, and we're right. Uh, to me, that that just seems like a it, it's not a good healthy it's not a healthy thing for the church, in my opinion. But um, what I would like to ask you is, what kind of led you personally? See, it seems like to me, in the timeline of how I'm understanding this, that you went from high school uh, and joined the military, and at some point in in that timeline, you had uh, broken from King James Version only to where are you at today, and how did you how did you come out of King James Version only, if that's how you want to word it. Um, yeah, so 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 where I'm today, so I'm still with the still with the the missionary Canadian Missionary Alliance Church, um, sorry Christian Missionary Alliance Church um, uh, in in Canada here. Um, so kind of what what led me what led me out is because even after I even had a falling out with my uh, with, with my parents at the time, um, I uh, I still attended uh, I still attended Baptist churches, uh, and I had uh, and some of my family, uh, some siblings that I have. Uh, still attend uh, an, an IFB KJVO church uh, in, in Canada here, and uh, one, one the opportunity to visit them uh, and living with the pastor for a summer. Uh, this was uh, so this was after after first year, um, and I, I was still I was still in a church. And I was still like solid, you know. I was still solid King James only, like had like all the points, like basically could you know could 
almost hard out uh, argue them on pretty much most of the stuff uh, as far as related to the Bible versions issue. Um, but one thing is uh, I differed with the uh, with the pastor that I was staying with on uh, on two major topics. Uh, so um, he uh, is part of a uh, which. Uh, called a once saved always saved church um, and I kind of had the carryover of um, you know you could lose your salvation uh, from the Pentecostal church um, I've kind of I kind of lightened up I'm still kind of personally trying to work that one out right now yeah um, but another issue that we, we talked about was uh, was post-trip versus uh, pre-trip uh, myself being post-trip uh, I, I still am uh, post uh, post the post a seven-year period uh, tribulation I know there's a lot of uh, verbiage that people use in different terms to describe or similar terms to describe different things, because um, I know there's a, a post-trib pre-wrath uh, that, that's out there. That's some sort of some sort of mid mid seven year uh, period thing, which which I, I don't uh, which I don't hold. But uh, I guess that's just semantics. Um, and the pastor he was uh, he was pre-trib, so we'd always kind of have conversations on uh, on kind of almost topics because you know every, every visiting preacher always had to have you know they're like hey you know here here's this young guy he's 19 kind of 20 years old and He's confused, right? So, you know, everyone kind of took their chance to, to kind of uh, set me right. Yeah. Um, and in one of the conversations, I, uh, I I couldn't remember a verse reference. Uh, it was a certain topic, a certain kind of line of reasoning I was looking for. And so I um, basically just went to Google uh, and looked up uh, Irvin Baxter because he was the, uh, the the speaker that I had learned uh, learned the information from. And I knew what I knew what the point was so I could find the verses to go back to. Um and the uh, and the minute that I, I, I brought up uh, I brought up his name um, and so he's he's a one that's Pentecostal who doesn't use the King James I'm not sure which one it is but it, it's not the King James and uh, and and the minute I brought it up uh, it actually is sent to the conversation right there um, and and they refused to go any further because that? the information that I was getting who refused to go any further the uh, the, the pastor that I, I was uh, that I was staying with so I, I'm trying to get it straight so you are uh, you're still post trib. Um, you believe you're, you've got Pentecostal. So with the Pentecostalism, I want to make sure I'm getting this right. Uh, Pentecostalism would believe in the, the apostolic sign gifts and apostolic su- succession. Is that right? Um, uh, I'm not too familiar with exactly, uh, what, what the terms are. So you would believe in um, the gift of healing and tongues and all, all of that side? No, of no, I would I no, I wouldn't. Uh, I mean, I, I think that, it, that it's possible they exist, um, and uh, and that there's still there's still a place for them. I, I wouldn't necessarily say that they're uh, to the extreme of what's uh, going on in the churches. Um, I think there's a lot of yeah. um, fake, uh, you know, you want to call it fake news, uh, kind of fake speaking in tongues out there, and, and more showmanship. Um, but uh, I, I wouldn't deny the possibility of it being able to happen. Yeah. Um, so, and you, you had mentioned oneness Pentecostal. Do you do you differentiate yourself from the oneness Pentecostal side? I would, I would. Um, I, I I'm not too familiar with what they believe, um, but I, I don't. I believe they don't believe in the Trinity. Yeah, it's yeah. Where they where they stand. Um, okay. And I, I mean, I think the Trinity. I mean, that's a, that's a completely separate issue, pretty complex. Uh, but I mean, I, I hold to the Trinity. I mean, I know there's there's three in one. Um, okay. But uh, that was more of uh, I just brought that up to kind of differentiate uh, yeah. Urban Baxter from where both of both where we stood. Kind of I hear thing. you. It was just a differentiate. Yeah, I that's definitely something that I'm I'm interested in talking about as well. The eschatology side of things, um, post trib, post trib, pre trib, all mill, pre mill, all 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 of that aspect of the of eschatology. That is definitely something that I'm interested in. 
Um, and I've never actually, I've never met somebody who was actually post-trib 100% that was, see, I didn't know that Pentecostals were post-trib um, as a, I don't know if that's a denominational thing or just with, with your church then or, or with the, the denominator, the, uh, the Canadian, the Canadian, is it the Canadian Missionary Alliance? Is that right? I think it's a Christian Missionary Alliance. Christian like, Missionary Alliance. Uh, okay. I, I kind of get it. <laughs> I'm getting it all mixed up, man. Um, yeah. So, so well, and as for as for denominations, actually, I mean, there might be some there might be some variation between even Pentecostals in the states and the the Pentecostal assemblies yeah. of Canada as well. Um, so, so I, I what what holds up here might not necessarily hold down there. So, I, I'm willing to. So, the pastor the that you were staying with, he was not post trib. Is that what you're? Is, is that kind of the conversation that you were having? That, that's correct. Yeah, yeah. That's correct. And so he ended the conversation as soon as you started talking about Baxter and, and the post-trib stuff. Uh, well, as, as, as soon as I did. Um, and that's kind of what, what set me on um, in a more even in-depth study. Because um, what I kind of got out of, the, out of that one conversation um, was that, because uh, I was just looking for the verse reference. Um, and the verse I reference see. was going to take me back to the games. Because I, 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 I still read it. Um, and uh, even, even when I don't, um, if I'm ever in discussion with someone who just uses it, um, I'm like, well, I might as well use it because they won't listen to me otherwise. Um, so I'll use it almost as a matter of uh, simplicity, really. I see. Um, to have these conversations, um, but and I, so I kind of realized that it wasn't at the actual content of the pre pre trip versus post trip. Um, it was the fact that it, they, he didn't use the same Bible, even though I was getting the same ideas out of the King James. And so I, I kind of thought, I'm like, so kind of what else are they? you know, not willing to discuss, even though I get the information out of the King James, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I kind of find that, you know, found that odd, um, that they weren't actually hmm. uh, willing to discuss yeah, that's, the topic out of, out of the King James. Dude, yeah, to me, that's kind of sad. Um, but, so I guess, uh, I guess my question is, so that's, that's kind of what led you into questioning the Bible version aspect, um, and, and, and you're still post-trib, um, which is very interesting to me. I'd love to talk to you more about that. But um, tell me a little bit more about how that led into um, your study in the King James Version and what led you to kind of break away from being a King James only. But before you do that, I would like to ask for what your definition of King James only is and what that looked like for you, because you've, you've got a lot of different aspects of King James Version onlyism. Um, I'd say the more extreme and probably the most extreme side is is uh, would be the re-inspired text of this translation, that the King James Version is a re-inspired text that has replaced the Greek and the Hebrew, that you no longer need Greek, you no longer need Hebrew, and that even the King James Version would correct the Greek and the Hebrew. Uh, but then you've got the TR advocates, if you want to say that TR advocates are a King James Version only um, category, which I would actually disagree with that, because I don't think that um, you necessarily have to be a King James Version onlyist if you are a TR advocate. Uh, but then you've got other people, that, like you were mentioning earlier, who, who just prefer the King James Version. But So why don't you tell us uh, kind of what position and category you would have fallen into um, or, you know, um, titled yourself with on the King James Version only side? So at the time I was in, um, and I mean, just as a, as a frame of reference, uh, I know this kind of came up in, uh, in, in Twitter there, the, the five, uh, kind of the five distinctions that James yeah. White set out, which I think is, is a kind of a good way, at least, at least a rough starting point for, for determining them. Um, I think the first three, they're kind of along the King James only preferred section. Uh, I almost wouldn't classify those as, 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 as King James only because they're, they're kind of, 
they're very weak positions. Um, so they're not very good for they're not very good for a platform to kind yeah. of bounce ideas off of. Um, I believe the fourth position was uh, that the that the King James is the only version to use, um, and it's basically equal uh, in value uh, to the Greek and the Hebrew. And I think that's kind of what that's kind of where that's kind of where we were, uh, mm-hmm. kind of where my family uh, still is. Um, but they were kind of like leaning towards the the, the other side because they wouldn't say it necessarily corrected. Um, okay. Corrected the Greek and Hebrew, they would say that it's better in the sense that well, we speak English, so it's better for me I because I can't I can't read Greek or Hebrew. So, so did they have any it, problem it, it, with you know being able to look up a lexicon and study a, the the Greek or the Hebrew in that sense and say hey, there's nothing wrong with that, or were they just were they totally against that? Because um, some some King James only um, advocates would even say that uh, the King James version in English is is the Bible. I mean, as far as any other language in the world goes, you need to learn English in order to have the Word of God because it's in the King James Version. Right. Um, so where, where I was, I mean, as far as lexicons go, um, uh, if, if you believe that, uh, and, and I did, that the that the, tra- the King James translators translated it correctly, um, there really wouldn't be a need to go back uh, to the Greek lexicons. Um so it, it, it wasn't really an issue that came up because we didn't we, we didn't have to, yeah. Or at least that's that's what we believed. So when you were so you were pre-trib, and then you started reading another Bible version that led you to post-trib. Yeah, I was, I was, you were I was, always post-trib. We were always always, always post-trib. Yeah. But you were talking to a pre-trib pastor. I got it now. Okay, so. Um, I, I guess that's what were you looking up that led you to another Bible version and their take on it to kind of lead you out of King James version onlyism. How did how did that kind of um, transition there? Well, because we'd always we had we had always listened to uh, we had always kind of listened to um, to to Irvin, Irvin Baxter. Uh, so Irvin Baxter's Ben Time Ministries. I don't know if you've heard of him, um, but he does a lot of like the the Bible, uh, the end times kind of prophecy okay. uh, stuff, getting prophets and, and dives real real well into Revelation. Uh, so we'd always we'd always listen to him, uh, and he was um, uh, either both prior to leaving the Pentecostal Church and even after. Um, now uh, this is actually, I guess, probably credit to uh, my dad, despite his uh, this is what I would say extreme positions on the King James. Uh, was still was still actually willing to uh, get information from somebody else as long as he could verify it, uh, as long as he could verify it within within the King James. Mm-hmm. That's why. So that was kind of a carryover that we, we we still just kind of kind of kind of accepted as well. And and even being King James, I I you know I, I saw no reason then, and, and I still see no reason now to change my uh, change my views on on post trip. I see. So um, when did you when did, so are would you call yourself a modern critical text advocate or where do you where, how does how do you, how does that how did that actually look when, to transition from King James? What led you to make that decision? Like, hey, Dad, I'm not King James only anymore. Um, it was it, it was a very slow process, uh, and, and I mean, it's not like one day I just kind of had had the epiphany that uh, that I wasn't. Um, but what I did once I started once I started kind of after that conversation I had with uh, with that pastor, I kind of. Kind of, I started questioning things, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go back to go back to what I would consider the source. Um, and for me, that source was uh, the, the sermon series and the, the publications that uh, the Git put out. Um, so okay. I went back uh, and you know and listened to listened to his sermons. And um, honestly, having listened to his sermons as a you know 14 year old sitting at home in a in a, in a three hour you know church service at home, yep. um, 
the tension level was not uh, was not that high, so you kind of just took things, uh, you just kind of took the information as it was. Yeah. Um, but then re-listening to it and, and and kind of and and analyzing and you know kind of doing my own version of what my dad did, kind of stopping through it and, and thinking about it, and looking up the references, and I'm like, well, this doesn't this doesn't actually make any sense. Yeah. Um. And so then once and so once I kind of got on that path, it really I mean it really just snowballs. Um. You know, I started looking up other people's material. Um. You know, I wouldn't necessarily say I'm, uh, you know, a big fan of uh, big fan of James White, but he was kind of the villain in my house growing up, and and then uh, you know, so I look at his material, and I'm like, oh, that's, you know, the stuff he says actually kind of makes sense, and um, at least at least as a counter argument to what was uh, presented to me growing up. Well, I can understand that. Um, I'd like to take the time now to actually look into some of the things that you were reading about Sam Gipp that you went into study and you were listening to his sermons. And uh, some of the things that got you to question the King James only side of it, and whether or not what Sam Gipp uh, was preaching to you uh, as as truth and lined up with um, what what we would call a preserved text, and uh, then maybe you and I can kind of challenge each other and bounce some ideas off each other, and and uh, you know um, see where we go from there. But what's the first what's the first thing that you wanted to look at? Um, and I'll pull I'll see if I can pull it up on the screen for the audience to see as well. Um, I'm. If, if you go to samgip.com, this is where I'm going to be. I know you guys can't see the screen right now. I'm going to pull that up for you. But if you would let me know, Dave, um, which section you're going to go to, and I'll try to pull pull over to that section and uh, pull it up for the viewers so they can see as well. Yeah, we can probably actually just start it. Start at question number one. Okay. Um, but I, I got to preface there if, if I could have just 30 seconds. Of yeah, go ahead, man. Here. Um, so, I, and the one thing I've kind of found, and, and and I've always kind of had difficulty in any conversations with um, even, even my family about the King James issue, um, is that my argument has never been one of uh, one of that the King James uh, isn't um, a, a, a good form of uh, of God's word, which is usually a, a camp that we're placed in. The minute that you the minute that you counter the King James, you're kind of automatically placed into a camp of, you know, well, you must think that something else is a perfect word of God, or there you know there can't be any middle ground. Um, and so I've never kind of come from a perspective that the King James um, isn't uh, the, the infallible, perfect, uh, inspired word of God, because um, I think, you know, how God inspires things, I mean, I think that's a completely other discussion to have. Um, but, yeah, see, I think that's um, interesting, and, I, and I'm kind of glad that you brought it up, because that, to me, seems like the, the groundwork for how you de- define uh, what is and what isn't the preserved Word of God, whether it's the original text, whether it's a copy of the original text, uh, and and then you go throughout the transmission of the text throughout history, which would lead up to 1611 or 1881 um, or 1901, and just some of these key dates when it comes to the English translations and Bible um, and Bible versions that that really were making the comparison because. Um, Ultimately, what we're doing when, when, when we would make a comparison to different Bible versions, and even, even to the Greek and the Hebrew text, um, the ultimate argument that we're making is what is inspired text. And, and I think you just said it there. I'm not sure if you meant it exactly the way, you, the way that you worded it, so I, I kind of want to get clarification on this. Uh, you said you would say that the King James Version is an inspired, preserved uh, infallible word of God, uh, but you would also say that other versions are as well. Did I hear you correctly in the way that I just worded that? I would I would I would say for the most part um, I think my, my issue with uh, with a lot of the arguments used for uh, for King James is that the conclusion might be correct um, but the standard arguments that people use to get to that conclusion um, I, I, I find are wrong 
Um, so, for example, I think there's 62 there's 62 uh, questions that Gibb has in, in you know in defense uh, of the King James in his book, um, and I mean I can pretty much refute every single one of them. So um, the first the first point, and, and I'd like to get into that and, and and look at a few of these as well. But um, the first question that I've got is you, you said the conclusions that they come to um, probably are correct, but the way that they come might, to them is. Might might be. I, I I think there's a lot more. I think there's a lot more discussion that the, that the church needs to have. Yeah. Um. In that. Um. But if we're going to if we're going to make an argument uh, for something, at least make that argument logically and reasonable. Because if an argument's yeah. not proved, if an argument is proved to be unreasonable, don't use it. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. And and I think there's some arguments that could be. I think there's some bad arguments on the King James version only side. There's no doubt. Uh, but I, I, that does interest me, um, because I, the question, the question to me is, do you differentiate between the Greek text that other Bible versions come from versus the Greek and the Hebrew text that the King James version comes from? Because even the Hebrew text of, uh, modern English versions, uh, don't even come from the, uh, the, the same Hebrew text that the King James does. They're, that's why you've got variants in the Old Testament and variants in the New Testament. Um, but that would be the first question that I've got is, how do you define uh, a corruption in the Word of God? And do, would you actually go so far as to say, yes, there are corruptions in different Eng- English versions that we've got today? Right. Uh, and, and going back to the, the, the Greek and the Hebrew, Your screen froze up there. Probably getting a call. Sorry, my apologies. Phone call there. Um, I think so going back to the, the the Greek and the Hebrew. Um, I think what, when discussing, especially, and again, I think that there's and there's a lot of discussion to be had on that. Um, but when talking with with King James only, it's um, that's not a, that's typically not an option. Um, so and, and so that's and that's kind of the one thing is is the, the King James only argument is almost a premise unto itself. Um, hey, I don't mean to stop you. Um, we lost your video feed. Is is that something that you were able to click on and get the video back real quick? If not, no worries. We've got your sound, so we can go from there if we need to. Well, I lost him altogether. Hang with us there. I'm going to try to get him back. I know he's doing it from his phone, so it might be a little difficult. All right, it looks like we got the video feedback, and the sound was doing something funky there for a second. But Dave, it looks like we got you back, man. Yep, perfect. Sweet. So, as you were, what were you... (laughs) Sorry about that. Um, no, I was, I was saying that the uh, the King James uh, only argument. I find it, it, it's typically it's it's a premise unto itself. Um, the the King James is perfect, therefore the King James is perfect, um, and that's typically what all of the arguments actually actually boil down to. So I find when when discussing with with the King James only is, I find I I, I don't even need to, and, and I would say that's the kind of the fourth and fifth categories of the King James only is. Um, is you almost don't even need to go back to the Greek and the Hebrew. Um, you just kind of need to dismantle the arguments that even got to King James onlyist, and then and then going back to the Greek and Hebrew can even even be an option to discuss. 
Yeah, uh, I honestly don't know any um, King James. I've never seen a King James onlyist advocate um, give that line of reasoning that the King James is the best because the King James is the best. Um, but I would like to look at the first point that, and maybe you have. I don't know. There's some weird characters that you can come across online. There's no doubt about that. But um, I want to pull this up. I'm going to split screen share so the audience can see as well. Uh, you guys will be able to see the same thing that uh, Dave and I are looking at. This is from samgip.com. You can access his book, uh, The Answer Book, which is a lot of uh, things that Sam Gip has gone through to answer different uh, Bible version and Greek and Hebrew text textual issues on why the King James Version would be correct um, and to support the, his conclusion that he's come to that, that the King James Version is actually a re-inspired text that corrects the Greek and the Hebrew. Um, and I tried to play this on our video last week um, he, when he was on the John Ankerberg show. I can't even remember the year that, that it was on. There's a little three-minute clip where Wallace asks him a question that uh, he basically says, you know, Sam, where was, where was the Bible before 1611? And he says, well, we didn't have the Bible before 1611 uh, because it wasn't all compiled together. It was just in fragments and it was all over the world. But, um, and, and I would disagree with that. There's no doubt that there were fragments um, all over the world, but there's, there's also no doubt that the Bible was completed. Uh, in one text that was that had 66 books. I don't think there's any doubt that uh, anyone would challenge that. Perhaps somebody would, and, and, and they could. But um, I think that um, for me personally, I would say, yeah, the, the King James uh, Version is the Word of God. There's no doubt about it. And, and, I could, and I could say that with all the confidence in the world. But the first question that we've got here um, in the Bible Answer Book is the Bible. It says, shouldn't we be loyal to the original and not a translation. So the question is, should, shouldn't we be loyal to the original autographs and not a mere translation? Uh, so if you want to, Dave, I'll let you kind of take it from there. And if we, if we want to, we can kind of look at what the answer is and the explanation is from Sam. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I, I just got a copy of kind of, kind of my notes here. I don't have the copy of, uh, of his book up there. I can actually try to, try to do with that. But uh, I, I think the you know, even the question, because, you know, we kind of ask it, uh, you know, some people kind of ask him, you know, where was the Bible before 1611? Um, and it really is, I think, a poor question to ask, because, you know, then kind of the retort is from other people, it's like, well, where was the Bible before 1881? Or, you know, where was the Bible before 1500, you know, whenever the, you know, the Geneva Bible came out? Or, you know, where was the Bible before whatever manuscript copy we have, really? Um, and, and it's, not, it's not really it's not really a legitimate question because it kind of boils down to I, what I think is a misunderstanding uh, and misplacement of, of the verse in uh, in Psalms. I think it's in I forget which chapter it is, but it's the one where God uh, God says that He'll preserve uh, preserve His words. Uh, Psalm twelve. And, and, and a lot of times, yeah, uh, we we associate that with um, almost with a written book, and we and it's like, well, if God preserved His word, then it has to be it has to be in a book. Um, so, you know, Sam Gip kind of has, shouldn't we be loyal to the original autographs uh, and not a mere translation? Uh, so what I find with a lot of his questions, um, he, he either throws up a really easy one to answer or he throws up, uh, or he throws up a, a straw man. Um, his answer is we should put as much value on the originals as God does. Um, and, and so it's kind of interesting. It's like, okay, so what is the original? Uh, what is the original God's word? Uh, we kinda, and we kind of even view the originals themselves, or the you know the actual first penned copy of you know say the epistle to the you know Corinth or something as, as as the original. But if you go even further back to that, um, a lot of the original God's word was the actual voice of God. The actual penned copy 
uh, itself was a, a, a literal copy of God's word that already existed. I mean, God's uh, you know first word recorded, uh, I believe, is like, let there be light. Um, and we have that recorded, but the paper copy of that wasn't the original. The paper copy of that is simply a paper copy of what God actually said. Uh, and, you know, and really, in, in that one, God's word is preserved uh, in the sense that you know, God spoke everything to his existence, uh, and we still have it. Um, but even placing, uh, you know, the, the value on uh, on the originals, and kind of Sam, go, I believe he goes through a couple of examples of, uh, I guess, Jeremiah, where, uh, where the copies get thrown into the fire. Uh, there's a couple, uh, I think one uh, place in the Bible where the manuscript gets thrown into a river, uh, and the original copies, uh, and the original copies get damaged. Um, so... I find it interesting that we, we, in the very first question, it's like, well, we should put as much value in the originals or the paper copies as God does. It's like, well, God places no value on the actual paper copy itself at all. All right, so do you agree or disagree with the conclusion that Sam has come to in regard to the originals and the paper copy of the originals um, and how that relates back to the King James Version? Um. I would say, in, in, in an odd sense, he's actually he's actually probably right in this one, uh, right in the sense, uh, in, in a short answer, that we should put as much value on the originals as God does. Uh, but then he takes it to, uh, then he uses that to be like, okay, well, therefore, the King James is a perfect inspired translation, and, and those two arguments aren't even at all related. Well, I, I don't see him saying that um, because of that. So the last thing that he says here is, thus, since we have the text of the originals preserved in the King James Bible, we have no need of the originals, even if they were available. Which, from what I heard you just say, is is pretty much exactly what he just said there, that you don't need the original copy because God preserved his word through a copy of the original. So, I, I don't really, in my, from my position, see how what you're saying is different than what Sam said there in his well, it, conclusion. It, it, it's not so much the original as in, as, as in the time frame. I think it's more even just the method of method of delivery. Um, because if God if God doesn't place a value in, um, you know, in, in what was his written word, um, you know, it was when Jeremiah, uh, I'm pretty sure it was Jeremiah, I might, I might get corrected on this one, um, you know, penned, you know, the, the original Jeremiah, um, and then God told him to throw it into the fire. I mean, that, that would be, um, would, would that not be considered blasphemy in a lot of uh, King James-only churches? Uh, to throw the original in the fire? No. Do what? I, I'm not sure I understand the question. Well, if, 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 God, if God didn't place a whole lot of value in the actual papers themselves, why do we, because we, we assume that God... Uh, uh, that God preserved His Word in a, in a in a paper text, and it has to be written and in a book and in a in, in a consolidated book. Um, and so we place we, as I would say, you know, the, the King James crowd, and and even even us really with, with other versions, we place we, we place a lot of value uh, in in the book itself, and not so much in the actual uh, content of the book. Yeah, see, I don't think that it, a King James only advocate um, or I really don't think that any um, Bible version advocate would would associate the written word uh, with the incarnate word to the sense that it's 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 something that um, if you burn it it's it's a, a, a something that's heretical or uh, blasphemy as, as as you worded it. But I yeah I don't I don't know anybody who would say if you burn a King James Bible or if you burn any uh, another version um, that that's that's the equivalent of some heretical act or blasphemy against God. I, I just don't know anyone who 
who equates the two to be the same, but yeah, I don't know. Is that kind of what you were saying though that they that they would actually associate throwing? I think I, I think it kind of. I mean, it kind of, and this isn't something that the Gibbon himself gets into. Um, but uh, the, I think my opinion on that is it gets getting into the borderline um, uh, idolatry, uh, if you will, uh, that I find in the King James a lot, um, and kind of and the value and the value that you place on it, whether it's the originals or whether it's. Um, or whether it's the modern translation, whether or whether it's the, the King James uh, the translation of the of uh, certain sets of originals, um, I think it's kind of the same thing. Yeah, I don't. I mean, it, and I just I ask you know for statements like that to say that it's idolatry um, to hold the King James as a standard above any other versions that it that it's idolatry to do that. I just don't know how you could prove that. Um, so when people say things like that. Um, that, you know, it, it just, it kind of catches my ear to go, well, can you draw that out a little bit or kind of give a little bit fuller explanation for why it would be idolatry to, to place an emphasis that the King James Version um, would be a version superior to any other version? So um, why would you say that it's idolatry to, to be a King James-only advocate in that sense that it's a, uh, it's a version that would be placed above any other version as in, in, in importance? Uh, and, I, and I would go back to the the, the first uh, kind of that, that turning point uh, in my life's conversation with that with that pastor that I had that kind of kind of started the whole journey um, is that when we started discussing the content, it didn't end up being the content the content that that he even wanted to discuss because that that turned out to be like a, a non-issue. It didn't matter what the King James said. Um, it w- it was almost at a point where it was the title on the book that that actually changed uh, his opinion on the, on the on the subject. Because we, we, we ended up getting to a point where we couldn't even discuss the book. Yeah. Even though we were both in the King James, we couldn't discuss it because of the title of the, hmm. uh, of the other version. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure that that... I, in, I don't know what the situation is there. That that kind of sounds a little strange that you wouldn't he couldn't have a conversation about a, a theology that differs from his. That's pretty strange to me, especially as a pastor. Um, <laughs> but anyways, let's move on. Number two is, isn't Easter... This is probably one of the most famous passages... Um, for, you know, um, critical text advocates especially um, to say that the translation in Acts 12.4 is actually a mistranslation, uh, that the Greek word pascha or pasha is not actually, um, it sh- it's Passover, and it shouldn't be trans- translated as Easter. Th- therefore, it is a mistranslation because that, that word shows up, what is it, uh, 21 times or 19 times in all of the New Testament. Yeah. Um, and this one time it's translated as Easter, that therefore it's a mistranslation. So um, I would like to get your take on that. Is Easter a mistranslation in the, the King James Version? Um, so uh, on the surface, uh, my opinion on whether it's a, a mistranslation, I think it's, I think it's highly suspect. Um, I'm, not, uh, I'm not a Greek scholar. I... I uh, Greek or Hebrew, um, so I, I can't say whether it uh, should be um, a Passover or Easter. Um, but the stance that uh, that Gibb takes in his book uh, is that Easter was uh, the correct one, um, and that, and I, I believe he says that that, uh, that because it was translated Easter, therefore correctly, uh, it's actually the only correct uh, version, and all of the other ones uh, aren't. Well, see, this is where I would actually um, that that I would I would take it a, a step further even, 
If you look at the English versions that led up to the King James Version, like the Geneva Bible, for example, um, it actually had translated uh, that word. If you pronounce it Pascha, um, I think it's pronounced Pascha. Uh, I could be wrong on that, but I, I, if it is, I think the Geneva Bible actually translated, translates it as Easter three times, and, and then in, in a later edition it had translated it uh, down to zero times. But um, in the King James, actually, in one of the first... No, that's what it was. In the first edition of the King James, it was translated three times as, as Easter. And then it, in, in the fifth edition, it was actually down to... Uh, it was down to just one time, uh, which would be this, this passage right here. Um, but as far as the explanation for it, whether it's Passover, whether it's, uh, whether it's Easter, um, you know, I really... <laughs> this is going to sound strange. I, I, I really don't have a problem with it being Passover or Easter, uh, but but I understand the argument from the King James only side that uh, there is a differentiation between Easter and Passover because Passover was already completed and the the pagan uh, side of Easter had begun. The pagan celebration of Easter had begun, and therefore there was a differentiation between the ending of uh, the Passover feast um, to Easter on the pagan side of in the recognition of of uh, the the differentiation of that time element. But um, what's your take on that? Is there an actual differentiation that we should consider uh, regarding Easter and and uh, Passover? And and take it a step further than that. Sam Gipp even says that he he called one of his Greek buddies and asked him, "Hey, uh, how would you how would you translate this word?" Um, what's the word for Easter? And he said it's Pascha. So he says, there you go. You got it straight from the word of a of a Greek that this is uh, the correct English translation for this Greek word. But what's your take on it, Dave? Uh, and, and like I say, as a, not not being a, not being a Greek scholar, um, I mean, I find it I find it odd that uh, that you can translate one word into into two uh, completely separate and unrelated holidays. Um, you know, I, I mean, in the modern sense, if we had a, if we had one word that covered both Christmas and New Year's, I, I mean, it just it just seems very weird. Um, but going to the arguments that uh, that Gip uses for Easter, um, he, he follows a timeline of, uh, of Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, uh, where Passover is uh, is, uh, is is a one day event, um, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread he has the seven complete days uh, following for a total of eight days. Uh, and that, and the logic that Easter uh, is a correct translation uh, is is due to the fact um, that uh, I mean, let me find the verse here. Um, I don't have that one up. Um, is that because uh, Herod uh, Herod captured? Uh, I, I believe it was Peter. Um, uh, then were the days of unleavened bread. Uh, so so Gibbs line of reasoning is that well, if it was then were the days of unleavened bread. Uh, therefore, Passover had already happened. Uh, so therefore, he wouldn't be releasing him after Passover. He would be releasing him after Easter. Um, and that's and that and that whole argument is contingent on Passover being Passover being one day and the Feast of Unleavened Bread uh, being a complete uh, separate, uh, a complete separate uh, seven day period. Um, but to take a so a reference, uh, a reference in Ezekiel. So if you look at Ezekiel forty-five uh, twenty-one, it um, uh, mentions the Passover. So I'll read it here. Uh, so in the first month, uh, in the fourteenth day of the month, uh, ye shall have the Passover, a feast of seven days. So you have the Passover, which is a feast of seven days. So there's uh, at least one reference 
uh, with the Passover is, is a feast complete of not just one day, um, but it's also uh, a word that's used to describe the entire uh, the entire feast period. Um, so using using Gipps' line of reasoning that um, well, the Passover had already occurred, uh, well, depending on how you use the context of Passover, the Passover hadn't already occurred. Uh, part of it had, uh, not all of it had. So um, um, I want to uh, read. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to give you another reference, but uh, yeah. no, you got it, man. I was just I was going to read uh, what what Sam had written on that, but um, and I think you're doing a good job of summarizing it. So um, um, yeah, go ahead, man. Yeah, so I got I got another reference, and this is in I think it's in most of the Gospels. Uh, so, but we'll go in Matthew. Uh, so Matthew twenty six seventeen. Uh, now the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, uh, the disciples came to Jesus, saying unto him, uh, Where wilt thou that we prepare for thee to eat the Passover? Um, so now the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus. So it was already in the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Uh, and they were asking Jesus, uh, Where wilt thou that we prepare for thee to eat the Passover? Um and I find that interesting because using Sam Gibbs' timeline that he, uh, you know, he carefully laid out on uh, on his website there, uh, Jesus and the disciples are late. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it's definitely. I think it's definitely. I'm, I'm sure. There's sure there's more nuance to the entire thing. Um, but to say that uh, Easter is the correct trans and Easter might be the correct translation. Uh, it, I'm not saying it's not. Um, but the, the reasoning to say that it is, is, is faulty. Um. Yeah, I can see both sides. I think that there could, be, without a doubt, be a differentiation between the, pag- the pagan um, holiday of Easter and the, the Jewish celebration of Passover. And, and maybe there's something to that. Um, you know, maybe there's something to what you're saying uh, in that regard, but... Um, I can see it. I can see it as as being a correct translation for Easter. I don't have any problem with it being Easter, um, and I, I think Sam does a pretty good job of supporting why he believes that it is a correct translation um, from his perspective. But um, you know, it, one thing to consider, and for me, it's it's definitely something to take seriously. Is is uh, why was it, why was it translated as, as Easter three different times um, in, in the first edition in 1611 and then it, and by the fifth edition it was down to just one time but that's something that's the kind of things that I think about um, you know when it comes to the the, the different editions of the King James Version but um, yeah, but, I yeah. Got question five uh, what was que- you want to go to question five is that kind no, of that's right. the question uh, the revisions is, is is question number five. Oh, I see I got gotcha. you okay yeah, let's go to uh, let's go to question. Let's just go to question five here. It says, weren't there several revisions of the King James Version Bible since 1611? And uh, I'm pulling it up here. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna play. Uh, I'm not gonna do the screen share um, while Dave talks, but I will while I talk because when Dave talks, it does create an echo for whatever reason. So whenever 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 I give it back to Dave, um, I'll I'll. Uh, put the screen back on there for you guys to go to Dave. That way it doesn't have an echo. But anyway, so he says, weren't there several revisions of the King James Bible since 1611? And Sam Gibbs says, no, there have been several editions, but no revisions. And I would agree with that. There there haven't been revisions. Uh, there's been additions. So I, I think that basically it's kind of a semantic game in saying what, it, what a revision is versus uh, an addition. 
uh, because there were definitely some changes. So wh whatever, whatever you want to say, that here's his answer. He says, the explanation, one of the last-ditch defenses of a badly shaken critic of the authorized 1611 is a revision hoax. And uh, he goes into a few examples um, saying, which King James do you use, 1611, 629, or perhaps the 1729? And uh, then he talks about um, Reagan, Dr. Reagan, pastors, he names a pastor in uh, Knoxville, Tennessee, about the King James Bible, entitled The King James Version of 1611, The Myth of Early Revisions. And he recommends that as being an excellent job to destroy the last stronghold of Bible critics. But um, he, he's got the myth of early versions here and gives an introduction, the printing conditions, uh, the four so-called revisions of the 1611, then the so-called thousands of changes, the printing changes, spelling changes, textual changes. And he goes through a few examples here, which uh, Scribner talks about in his book, in the appendix of his books, and, and lists uh, different variations between 1611 and and 1769, um, which is some examples like this. Number one, this thing to this thing also. Number two, shalt, how, uh, shalt have remained to ye shall have remained. So he gives examples of this uh, as being the actual textual changes. Then he goes on to say uh, there's character and frequency of the textual changes, clearly, and he gives some examples. Then he says point number four, changes in the book of Ecclesiastes. Here's those and then changes justification, the so-called justification for other revisions. So there's a lot of information on this. This is uh, uh, something cer uh, certainly to take seriously, but with that said, Dave, I don't want to take all the time, so I'm going to turn it back over to you. Let me get the screen off the screen sharing, and you've got it, man. Oh, for sure. And like, like you said at the beginning, it, it is kind of a, a matter of semantics. Um, I would almost say it's the other way, is that there's you know almost been... Um, several revisions and no additions. You know, when you get a new edition of a textbook, there's usually new information in it, uh, and if you revise it, uh, it's typically to, uh, to kind of correct those those small mistakes. Um, but so, I mean, by pure definition of revision, uh, King James Bible uh, has been revised. Because um, uh, I mean, any changes in spelling, any of the missing punctuation letters or words, uh, kind of that uh, that you summarized there, whether they're due to typographical errors or not, uh, would still all count as revisions. Uh, at least by today's standards, um, and uh, and even the translator them, translators themselves uh, knew that. Um, even not even in the uh, the crest of the readers, uh, the um, you kind of find it in in the front page uh, translated out of the original tongues uh, with the previous translations uh, diligently compared and revised. Uh, the King James itself um, is a uh, direct revision of previous translations. Uh, I mean, I'd be interested if you, if, you, if you would disagree with that statement that's on his Bible. Uh, in, on some of no, there's no doubt about it. I mean, I, I think 85% of the King James Bible actually came from, uh, it, it was either Tyndale or Coverdale. Uh, I want to say, I want to say it was Coverdale. I think Tyndale um, actually came from a different Greek text for the most part. Um, but I want to say that 85% of, of the King James Version came from Coverdale's um, translation. So, um, but for me personally, and, and this is where I'll just give my honest opinion about the whole thing and just lay, my, lay the cards out on the table. I think that the, the real issue isn't, isn't the Bible version issue. I don't think it's a King James Version issue. I don't think it's an ESV issue, an RSV issue. I think the real issue is the, the underlying text of the King James Version and the stream of versions that you, you were just talking about there uh, with it being an, a new edition of these other versions. So I, I don't have any problem with 
Um, different revisions, if you want to call them revisions, or different editions of the King James Version from 1611 to 1769. I don't have any problem with that. I don't have any problem if you want to call it a revision. I don't have any problem with you saying, well, the King James Version is different from uh, Geneva or Coverdale or these things. Because my argument isn't an argument of perfection or re-inspiration uh, or something that would correct the Greek or the Hebrew. My position would be the stream that this line came from is the preserved text that God has used throughout history that is traceable, uh, that you can find, and is uh, is is a witness to the majority of the manuscripts that we have today. So when when we really are are breaking down the discussion of what the real what the Bible version issue is, um, I, I think it's deceptive to me to say that these new Bible ver- the the modern Bible versions really since 1901 or 1881. Um, that they all come from the same set of Greek manuscripts or even Hebrew, and, and they don't. And and to say that they do is is is, is extremely deceptive to me. Uh, and and for people who take the position that there is no corrupt line, there are there are no differences in the families of uh, of of the Greek and Hebrew texts, um, whether it's the originals or the copies of the original, whatever you get into those side arguments. I think the real argument comes down to this right here. If we can recognize the fact that there are corruptions, whether it's in a Greek text, a Hebrew text, an Aramaic, um, or even a translation, I think at the end of the day, if we can get honest and say, yes, there are corruptions, then we can really break that conversation down and say, well, how do we identify what a corruption is? We can look at the text and see what was used throughout history, uh, which they're starting to do with the cohesive genealogical Method. I can't think of what the word is that I'm I'm forgetting in, in that. But um, they look at the usage. They look at the witness. They look at um, uh, they look at the strength of the witness, the uh, the age of the witness, those kinds of things, and they set a value to it. But not that that's uh, the set standard on how we should do that. But at the end of the day, to me, if there is actually a difference in Bible doctrine in in one version compared to another, or one Greek text compared to another, I think at the end of the day, the Christian faith can identify what is a correct doctrine. And if, if, if that text, whether it's a Greek or Hebrew text or an English version or, or Spanish or whatever language version, differs with that doctrine of Christianity that we can actually identify and say, this is a corrupt text. So to me personally, I, I do recognize text. I don't know any other Bible version on the planet that I trust more than a King James Version. I would personally love to see an update to the King James Version that gets rid of the archaic words uh, that, that actually... Is, is true and faithful to the text and the stream that it came from. Um, I know that they did it in 2016. Uh, there is a 2016 sixth edition of the King James Version. Uh, you've got the modern English trans, uh, the modern English version that comes from the same textual line uh, as the King James Version. The new King James Version sticks to it for the most part. There are still over 3,000 uh, variations between the new King James and the King James that is not actually from the text the King James came from. Uh, so to me, that's the heart of the issue. But yeah, Dave, I'd like to get your take on that. Am I way off there? Uh, no, I, I, and I think it kind of is. I think what, what, what's damaging about um, kind of the King James issue, and like I say, in my experience, I, I'm, I'm going to fully admit uh, it, it might be completely anecdotal um, of the fact that it's personal. Um, pretty much means that it's anecdotal. Um, but uh, and, and and to kind of kind of go back to kind of. To, to clarify, even when we were back on question one, because uh, I kind of said that you know, kind of Gibb had his point. Um, his, you know, he gave his point. And I kind of answered the question. Therefore, the King James is perfect. And 
while he didn't specifically outright say it in that question, I mean, that, that's kind of the whole premise of the entire book, right? Yeah, I see um, what you're saying. You know, he gets, he gets yeah. wisdom, answers the question, and then all of them combined are kind of put together um, to form the basis of, you know, therefore, uh, therefore perfection, um, among other things. Because if, if, if there was a better reason to, to, to explain the perfection, uh, I, I'm sure he would have he would have done it. Um, well, and I can agree with that, I and, the, and I do disagree um, with Gip on his position. It, I, I don't know that it's changed. I know that he's going to come out with an answer book two at some point, uh, which is related to the modern English version, New King James version, and, and different things like that. I, and I'll be interested to see what's in that. But I do disagree with him and other King James only um, advocates in the sense that um, it's a re-inspired text that corrects the Greek and the Hebrew. I completely disagree with that. I think that if the King James is better than the text that it came from, then it's no better than the text that it came from because that means the text that it came from is no good at all. So that's just, that's hypocritical to me. Um, the way that I understand it from logic and reason, I just think that that's hypocritical. I don't agree with it. Um, I, I think that there are there are things that could be and should be updated in a King James Version, but there is no doubt in my mind that there's a difference between the stream of the original manuscripts that it came from. And when I say original, I don't mean the original autograph. I mean the the copies of the copies of the originals, um, which would be the doctrine of preservation. So I, I see differences in the streams of uh, where different Bible versions come from. I think that that's something that, as, as the church, I think we should address um, and, and really get honest with that question. So when I, when I get antagonistic with someone who says, well, where was the Bible for 1611? I can trace it, and I think that I can do a pretty good job at tracing it throughout history. When I ask that same question to a modern critical text advocate in the same wording that they do, well, where was your version, where was the Bible before 1881? It was buried in the sand, it was in uh, under the Vatican, it was in uh, Mount Sinai, uh, in, a, in a Catholic monastery, and trash cans being burned. And so, to me, it, it wasn't the preserved text. It wasn't being used. But I would like to hear your response on that because I know that I know that you had quoted that earlier about uh, that kind of anta antagonistic quote that I that I had said about eighteen eighty one earlier. So, what's your take on it, Dave? What is so on, on on the quote itself? Is where is the Bible before uh, enter date here or well, if, revisions? If you think that we can actually identify corruptions one in versions two and uh, in in the underlying text and three. Um, if, if you would say that there is a difference between the streams regarding 1881, that it was that it was a text that wasn't preserved or used throughout history until 1881. So, yeah, if you would, uh, those three things, I mean, if you want to do one at a time, that's cool too. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, based on my, my limited knowledge of, of, of manuscript history, um, even, even 1881 wasn't, wasn't even the, wasn't the start of... Um, I might have been the start of the collection uh, in, in the same way that 1611 might have been the start of the collection uh, for, the, for the King James, because the manuscripts still existed uh, prior to. Um, there's, a, there's, always been, uh, there's always been manuscripts, at least, at least in portion, um, which, is why, which is why I think throwing the date on it and asking where was the Bible before any date is kind of, kind of a silly question for both sides and irrelevant to the whole thing. It's kind of just one of those, you know, half gotcha moments kind of thing that that really has no weight. Um, so, it, in the in the live stream we've got in the comment section on on Facebook Live, um, a, a guy brings up this point in the Lord's Prayer, Matthew six nine. He says, 
check check the King James Version versus versus other Bibles where it says debtors now instead of trespasses. And, and I think that there is there's there's no doubt that there is um, in my mind doctrinal issues with uh, different Bible versions that doctrine is is actually affected. I didn't I was reading that so I didn't hear the end of of what you were saying about. Uh, the differences in Bible versions, but do you actually? It, and I'm sorry if you if you're repeating yourself, um, but do you actually identify corruptions in in Bible versions or Greek text? If you would repeat that for me, if you addressed it, I'm sorry. So, uh, no, no, I didn't. Um, but uh, and, and yes, I mean, <clears throat> I think doctrine changes. I think I think that a lot of people when they when they claim that there's a doctrinal change are are, are stretching. Um, you, usually, it's uh, usually it's an absence of. Um, you know, and one of many, um, you know, for example, uh, you know, the, the NIV removes the deity of God in this verse. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and that would be viewed as a doctrinal change when really it's only a doctrinal omission in that one part yeah. and not and not from the whole. So I, I wouldn't well, I wouldn't let me stop you there because that's something that really, uh, that really gets my attention when somebody says, well, you know what, no, no one doctrine hinges on any one verse. So if you, if you change the deity of Christ in this one verse, it doesn't change the deity of Christ throughout the Bible. Well, to me, when right. God says he's going to preserve his word uh, and not one word is going to pass uh, from this generation forever, like that really concerns me because when I consider that and I say, well, okay, this definitely changes doctrine in this one verse, but it doesn't change it throughout the rest of the Bible. To me, that's, that's right. inconsistent because... One change is significant enough to say, well, if that's not the Word of God, well, what is the Word of God? So to me, that that's extremely significant to say, well, doctrine is changed, but it's only one spot. Um, it, and I think as as a as a whole, though, I I wouldn't say it has, but it's kind of kind of interesting because it's kind of a point that I got here. Getting back to the revision question, actually, yeah. leads, leads right back to that. Um, because uh, so, so one thing is that uh, that advocates of King James are usually quick to point out. Um, is that uh, any changes to the original 1611 um, are typically minor, um, and they you know they call out other versions of having conducted many more changes uh, and revisions, usually by the thousands. And you know you go through his list, and you know there was you know 30 changes, or you know one change in every three chapters, I think is what it was. Um, the problem with this is that it, it's a pretty juvenile. Uh, oh well, they did it too. Argument. Oh, um, <laughs> I'm with you on that, man. I don't see how you the can get around it. There's definitely there's there's no doubt that there's changes. I mean, if if you want to um, say that it's yeah. word order or just a, a different phrasing or a different dynamic equivalence uh, based off of a, a 150 year difference, I, I think that it's still something to to really take seriously. Like, I mean, are we really going to say there weren't any changes? Because I mean, there were. And, and I mean, and and the changes that you know, and you know, you, I would. Admit that a lot of the changes. I mean, you know, the doctrine of, you know, uh, of, of salvation or the doctrine of the Trinity or you know the gospel in general is not changed by uh, some of those. I mean, especially the spelling changes, but some of the words that were missing and, and you gave the list there that even even get published. Um, but if the point is is that the King James is is perfect, uh, it, it shouldn't matter. Um, one word, whether it's a doctrinal change or yeah. not. Um, by, by saying that a doctrinal change almost carries more weight, now we're essentially valuing certain words in the Bible over certain others, and almost being a judge of the Bible ourselves by by saying which which omissions are now acceptable or not. So the point is, you get one error, you now have imperfection. 
Yeah, um, and, and, and I think that we really need to examine, and for me personally, this is, this is something that I'll probably spend the rest of my life looking into, is uh, the variation of um, transmission throughout history. I mean, when, when we really talk about the preservation of the Word of God and we see differences in the manuscripts that God has actually preserved, um, you know, what do, what do we do with that when, we're t when we are actually saying this one English version has got it all 100% correctly um, versus the, the transformation process that that one English version went through, and specifically the, the King James Version, but, but, but not, not even the King James Version um, itself, but even, you know, the Geneva, Tyndale, Coverdale, Great Bible, um, uh, Wy Wycliffe, all of these different English versions that we've had throughout history. And uh, what do we do with, with other translations and, uh, that, that, I mean, that, that predated the earliest manuscripts that we've got? Um, and, and I think those are some things that we should seriously take seriously when, when we're considering what is canonical, because ultimately that's what the argument is uh, when we're talking about variation and uh, the changes that we've got is, well, is this canon? Should this be in the Bible? Is this the Word of God? Is this what Paul wrote? Is this what God inspired him to write? And, uh, and, and this is what God has given by inspiration to be preserved and for us to have today. So I, I think those are some things that we need to consider in early church fathers, the early translations, the lectionaries, uh, the manuscript evidence, uh, the Latin. I mean, all of these things, I think they should be considered as, and they are, they are certain, the King James Version definitely considered internal and external witnesses. Um, just ask James White when he, when he wants to talk about the ending of Revelation. Um, there's no doubt about it. And I don't have a problem with it, me personally. Um, but what's your take on that? Um, yeah, I, I think because there's, there's obviously lots of discussion that you can have, like in between the variation of all, of all the versions, wherever they come from. Um, and I think like kind of what, what, what stems my interest and, and, and kind of kind of going back to like the personal story, why why I why I find it important is, is because and again anecdotal and, and I mean I'd, I'd welcome the opportunity to have uh, discussion and I, I, this is this is great here uh, but I also welcome the discussion with with those who are kind of kind of adhere to the same uh, ideology as as gift um, is that I've had conversations. That, that can't even happen because we don't even agree on on that one book. Even though I'm coming from a position of using that same book, yeah. because I'm open to even just because I'm open to um, using some of those variants, let's say in some of the other versions, whether it's some of the older English ones or not. Um, yeah. when, when a conversation gets shut off, I think we have a completely different problem that, that we need to deal with. Um, even before we get to the option of having a discussion on other political issues. I, I agree with that. I think that for whatever reason, um, your sound is is really staticky right now, and and I know I know we've got a, a long connection here, so um, I I, I want to get to the end. Uh, I want to wrap it up here pretty soon, but I, I want to ask you uh, before we wrap it up, uh, what's kind of what two things? So two things. One, um, is there anything else that you want to bring up regarding uh, the King James Version only issue? And uh, if you've got anything else that you want to bring up before we wrap it up, uh, what would that be, Dave? Uh, I, I would say the biggest thing is, is really opening, um, kind of, kind of, in how you did it in, in the last panel and how you how you opened up, opening, opening the invitation 
uh, for others to kind of have this conversation. Yeah. And this has been this has been more more of a more conversation. You know, and we kind of I think on, on most things we're we're in, we're in agreement. Um, and, and I think there's probably some good uh, conversation, discussion, uh, debate, um, argument in the in, in the literal sense um, to have with with people who are on the opposing side to actually kind of go over go over a lot of these questions. Um, I, I've tried to have them with people. Uh, my reach, uh, my reach is pretty limited. Um, yeah. But uh, really, I mean, if people are actually willing to willing to discuss these things and actually kind of go over go over these points, um, I'd be, yeah, be open, open to that. And that's the kind of thing because be be open to discussion and don't uh, don't just shut off an idea because uh, your premise might be wrong. Yep, I completely agree with you, man. Uh, for me personally, uh, I don't. I honestly, I don't want to be wrong. I don't like being wrong, but if I'm wrong, I want to know. Uh, you know, and I, I like to challenge my worldview, um, which is one of the primary reasons why I started this podcast in the first place is I don't, I don't believe that I have all the answers to everything. Um, I, I can be pretty hard-headed about stuff. I've been really hard-headed in the past. And uh, even, you know, I, I came out of a church that was King James only. I, I spent seven years in a, a King James only church. Um, I never really bought into the, to that side of it. I, I, I studied it out. I made up my own mind and said, you know what, I, I don't believe that that's right um, on the re-inspiration and uh, double inspiration and uh, correcting the Greek, those kinds of things. I, I, I came to the conclusion, hey, that's wrong. Um, I, I came from, from a background on a dispensational side that taught that um, it was faith plus works in the Old Testament. It'll be faith plus works in the tribulation period. I don't believe that. I think that's wrong. Um, a, a guy had posted a video that I had made two years ago. And uh, I, I had said some things about that, and I was wrong. So I don't pretend to have it all together. If, if somebody corrects me and brings something up to me, I'm more than willing to change my position on it. I, I, I don't want to just be so stuck to what I believe that I'm not willing to have a conversation with somebody like Dave or someone like one of you guys who may be listening right now uh, that you want to have that dialogue and you don't, have, you don't have someone else that you could have that dialogue with. Yet I'm more than willing to have that dialogue with you. So if, if any of you are watching right now, I don't have all the answers, but I'm, I've, I've got a pretty decent handle on what I believe and why I believe it. Um, so I, I'm able to toss those ideas around with you. And if, if you've got a better explanation for uh, something that I don't have, man, I'll study it out. And if I'm wrong, I'll say I'm wrong and uh, we can go on from there. But for me personally, I don't think it's something to break fellowship over. I think that there are some things that you need to break fellowship over. Um, and, and I don't think that this is one of them. So, um, you know, it, I think that's important to have, man, like what you're talking about, Dave. I think it's unfortunate that you had that experience with uh, with your previous pastor. I think it's extremely unfortunate um, on the family side of things. I hope that that changes and, and turns around and you're able to, um, to reconcile those relationships. But um, I do want to give you the last word, and then I'll go to my closing scene for our audience. So what's the last thing that you would leave for the people who are watching and will watch this in the future um, regarding King James Version onlyism? And is there a message that if your family is watching right now that you'd like to leave with them as well? Uh, I would just kind of say uh, leave it, uh, leave it with, with having an open mind. Uh, and one thing that I've kind of found over my life, um, and, and this doesn't necessarily, because I've changed my mind, that doesn't make me right. Uh, but it's kind of one of those realizations that, you know, you know, it's one of those things you don't want to do. Um, but, you know, when, when, when you find something that, uh, you know, you find out uh, an area where you've been wrong, um, or at least leave yourself to be wrong. Uh, there's, there's no harm in changing and, and being able to uh, move towards uh, move towards the right. That's good. 
Hey, I do want to ask you something to think about. You don't have to give me an answer right now. Um, if you want to do a informal debate with some structure on post-trib uh, rapture, I'd be more than willing to do that because I'm pre-trib, pre-mill, and uh, um, I'd, I'd love to do that. I love eschatology. We could do something like that. If you just want to do a dialogue like this and we can throw ideas off each other and say, hey, what about Matthew 24, Matthew 25, First Thessalonians 2, Revelation 3 and 4, and those kinds of things, that, you know, the key passages that, that we look at in those, in those differences. But um, let me know, man. DM me on Twitter if you want to do something like that. This was, this was fun. I'm really glad to have you on. Uh, I know that you're not an American, uh, but whatever. I thank you for your service. I think it's okay to say that, but I'm sure your country is proud to have you serving serving them in the military as well. So, yeah. Thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate it. We'll catch up with you soon. So, thanks for having me. All right. Hey, I'm going to go to closing scene here for those of you who are still viewing live, and uh, see if it'll switch over for me.